People don't really know that Flea auditioned for PIL in 83. And we've been friends ever since. And, um, of course, he got the job. He just didn't take the job. It's not like he didn't get the job. He he got the job. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, no, I've got this thing called the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I remember saying to Flea, listen, man, take it from me. This this big big hot chili peppers thing you've got going on, it's going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm here with Martin Atkins, who, which we'll find out in a moment, he's done so much in his life in terms of music and other things that it's almost mind-boggling, but I just wanted to welcome Martin to the show, and then I was hoping he could give us the, he's got a very refined version of his own bio, and yeah, just sit back and get ready to be overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that the man's done. So welcome, Martin, and yeah, if you could tell us a bit about yourself, that'd be good. Hey, man. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. So the the quick version of my bio, which and we can get into whatever bits you want to get into. Started playing drums when I was nine, started in my first band and backing strippers and drinking Newcastle Brown and Ale between 11 and 12. I joined Public Image Limited in 79, and I was there on again, off again drummer for all the good bits from 79 to 85. I might argue we could just say all of the good bits. Uh, Metal Box, Parasol Prontomps was my first show, Flowers of Romance, Commercial Zone, This Is What You Want, This Is What You Get, uh, Live in Tokyo, US Tours, Australia, um, and two tours of Japan. So I quit PIL 85, messed around a bit, jumped into a band called Killing Joke from the UK, and both PIL and Killing Joke are celebrating their 40th anniversaries this year. So I drummed with, co-produced, co-wrote, and ended up managing Killing Joke. I uh, started my own band called Pig Face, which has about 500 members at this point, which include Flea, Trent Reznor, Paul Barker, Danny Carey from Tool, uh, my goodness, uh, uh, Michael Girard from Swans and, and 494 others. I have my own label called Invisible Records. Since 1988, we've released over 350 albums, been to China twice, made an award-winning documentary, started The Damage Manual and Murder, Inc. Um, had a little punk band called Brian Brain for a minute. I'm working on my fourth book. My first is Tour Smart, which is a, a how-to um, DIY book about touring which uh, I've been to a lot of places drumming. I've been to more places speaking since I, I wrote that book and released it myself. My second book is Welcome to the Music Business, You're Fucked, which is also an amazing T-shirt. Yeah. My third is uh, Band Smart, which is kind of the prequel to Tour Smart. And both of those books are the size of UK phone books. Um I'm currently just about to launch my uh, PIL book about my five years with the band. Uh, I'm a father of four. I teach at Millican University. I'm the music industry's coordinator there. Um, I'm also the music business department chair at SAE Chicago. And man, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm an appalling DJ. Really? <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm a really bad DJ. I mean, I will DJ, and it's basically I press play. I'll do mashups in the studio, and I'll just play. I don't do mashups live, except live in my studio. But yeah, I'm I'm a really bad DJ. Well, I think with all those other things, Martin, it's probably okay to not be good at one thing at least. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm bad at lots of things, but DJing would be one of the highlights. Yeah. So there's two things in there, and I won't let the mention of Danny Carey derail us this early in the conversation because he's probably in my <laughs> my pantheon of greatest musicians ever. So maybe we'll get back to that. But okay, there's one quote that I'm not sure where I heard it, but I know that you definitely said it, and it was about your own bio, and I think it went like this, quote, I don't really give a fuck about all these things that I've done, unquote. So I know why you would say that, and it's when you're talking to the music industry itself, but can you just let us know why you frame your own bio that way when you're starting out presentations and speaking and all the things that you do? Well, this is what I've been doing, like, the whole fucking time. You know, so it's like, it's not like, haha. Well, I, I did have a, like, a aha, I did it moment when I was on the front cover of Melody Maker in 79. Uh, I was like, oh, wow, I dreamt about this moment for years and I did it, you know, when I joined PIL. Um, so it's not like I'm keeping score. And actually, for quite a while, oh, you know, <laughs> and I didn't mention I have a Grammy for my work with Nine Inch Nails. Um, but so uh, I've just uh, this is what I've just been doing all my life. The only reason I think I now puke that stuff out as I just did. Right. Um, is because if I'm talking to students or, or people uh, or academics, perhaps, or anybody anywhere, it gets me a few minutes. It gets me a few minutes of fuck off, shut up for a minute. Let me make a couple of points here. It's like a door opening device, right? It's like I don't trot out the things I've done to prove anything. You know, I love playing my drums occasionally. I hate them most of the time. <laughs> um, I I think that people... I've encountered people who really like to watch me play when I enjoy it because I trash my drums and trash myself. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm a great drummer. You know, I've done some cool beats, um, you know, but so I, I, I puke that stuff out on occasion just because it gets me the next 10 minutes to say some stuff that maybe people might not agree with, like get the fuck out of bed. You know, maybe more people pay attention to that, having heard all of my credits, than would if it was just some 59-year-old, 58-year-old guy telling people to get out of bed. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you say that because I actually normally see that particular tweet when I'm about to go to bed, and even I want to get out of bed. So it's <laughs> certainly, it's certainly effective. And I think what Martin's getting at is I'm not sure that there's an industry where there's more unsubstantiated advice given to people by all myriad types of professionals than the music industry. Like there's people that have never played a gig or been on the road in a van with people telling people how to tour and marketing people that have never actually played a show where nobody's turned up and had to feel how bad that feels in your gut. 
when the entire bar is stand, staring at you like, why the fuck are you guys here? You didn't, didn't pull anybody? <laughs> like there's a lot of people that just have no credibility and I think it's good that, well, for at least in your case, that you actually do. Is it painful though to have to keep reeling that stuff off <laughs> or have you just got well, it down to a bit of a fine art, that particular story? No, I, well, I can, I can, as I said, I can puke my bio in, in a moment, you know, and, and I, I get better at it because sometimes when I'm speaking, you know, somebody from a university will go, well, I'll introduce you. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and then the next 10 minutes, uh, you know, I'll hear all of my band names and accomplishments mangled, you know. Uh, <laughs> he, he was on the road with Mystery. Uh, yeah. He has his own band, Pong, Ping, Ping Face, you know, which, uh, I mean, it's, it, sometimes it's just easy just to grab the mic and just puke it. But <laughs> but um, I, I don't mind giving out advice to people. I You know, I'd rather do that than have somebody else one more time, make all the mistakes we've all been making for the last 30 years. You know, um, it's it verges on tragic. Sometimes I'll say to people, listen, for fuck's sake, before you tour, get one of my books, you know, uh, read one of my books from cover to cover and call me if you've got any questions. But then I just sound like somebody who's trying to sell a book, you know. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm always happy to to try and help people, especially people who are going on the road and actually doing it because uh, it's tragic if, if all of these mistakes are going to be made again, because it's not just like, Oh, well, we lost $400 on that tour. It could be, well, we lost $400 while I was gone. Uh, my apartment was flooded. I lost my cat. Somebody stole my guitar and now we're talking to somebody who will never make music again, you know, and that's easily avoided. I was actually going to tell this story later just to bring up a question, but I might just throw it out there now, Martin. If you, if I had have had at least one of your books and probably now having read them all, looking back maybe at the level that we were at as a band at the time, Band Smart probably would have been the better choice because – like just some of the actual realities of Tour Smart probably would have been too overwhelming for us down here in Australia where there's limited opportunities to actually play continuously on the road. But my old band signed what at the time was happening quite a bit with all these independent shops that were setting up, basically ripping people off. It was called a joint venture deal. And it wasn't until our singer's younger sister came back from Melbourne with a copy of your book, which was dog-eared as hell. So she'd been reading the fuck out of that book. And we we started talking to her about the deal and we thought it was going really well. And she's just thinking, oh, I don't know about that. That sounds a little dodgy. You guys should probably read this massive tome. I'm like, geez, that's, that thing's bigger than the Bible. It's bigger than a war and peace. I'm not sure whether any of us can commit to that. Yet we just signed this massive contract without reading it as well. So, yeah, we're hopeless. But I reckon that if I'd have read... Even Toolsmart at the time, I think that would have saved us the better part of two years of heartache, losing control of our music, and about twenty thousand dollars Australian in two thousand eight, which is probably twenty five grand now in twenty eighteen dollars, and that would have been the cost of a day's reading and maybe twenty dollars plus postage. So that's how that's the difference your book could have made to my life. Well, so but well, and 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 hearing stories like that, you know, I, I'm always just. 
going out and and I'm always happy to to talk to people and sometimes I get paid a lot of money and sometimes I just do something with like a musicians collective I think the first ever time I spoke was like a group of musicians in Austin flew me down there and we did the first tour smart event which turned into a big Q&A afterwards and um so it's tough it's tough to hear that these very simple things could, could have could have made a difference to you you know and that's one of the reasons I teach now you know I'm working on this thing called a contract crash course there's a bunch of this in in both books and I'm trying to simplify contractual workshops so I'll have a question. How long is a recording contract? And some people will be, well, how, we've got to see it first. I'm like, no, you don't. The answer is longer than you think <laughs> because they <laughs> always are, you know. Yeah. So it's like, wow. So if, if someone can remember that and now I'll go into class and I'll say, how long is a recording contract? And like 15 students will, you know, <laughs> recite back to me longer than you think. It's like, fuck yeah. yeah. So try And they always are. You just, you just have to find where the paragraph is that refers back to the other paragraph that tells you how fucked you are, you know? And I think that I know you were saying maybe tour smart wouldn't have been appropriate and band smart might have been more appropriate, but I think it's the mindset from tour smart, which is you're fucked. It's just understanding that whatever can go wrong will go wrong at the worst possible time in technicolor. You know, um, it's once you, once you get that, once you get that, there aren't any silly questions. Once you get, you know, once you've tried your posters for the show, you know, 500 miles away or kilometers away. Once you realize that, then you have to call the promoter and say, hey, did you get the posters? And when the promoter says yes, you still have to ask, okay, have you opened the envelope and have you put those posters on the wall? Because I've I've fed X posters to promoters and I know that they've been received and eight weeks later when we've had a shitty show, you realize, oh my God, all of the promotional materials are still sealed in that unopened FedEx box uh, over there by the wall. You know, once yeah. once you get it, you know, you get it. There's very few people in the world other than the people in that car or van with you that actually care about your van's success at all. You should probably be somewhat skeptical of most people that are several circles away. When I read the book, it reinforced some of the icky feelings that I had about how that deal was actually going. Of Yeah, maybe I'm not off base thinking that these guys don't have our best interest in heart sort of thing. So, Well, I, I mean, but you touch on one thing that, that goes through everything. It's like you, you, can't, you can't complain because as soon as you complain, nobody's listening. I'm not going to listen. It's like, oh, yeah, right. You know, I mean, I, I could spend the next nine hours complaining, yeah. you know. But but nobody listens. It doesn't matter what level it's at. You know, I don't think I was fully compensated when Miami Vice used seven and a half minutes of a PIL song I co-wrote. It's like <laughs> yeah, everybody's just going, well, fuck you, you ungrateful bastard. You know, nobody, nobody listens. So all you can do is take 100% of the responsibility and just get on with it. <laughs> Agreed. So just before we move on from the book, Smart, I wanted to ask, there was 
a story that I sent in about our bass player that ended up actually getting printed in Bandsmart, which was incredible. That was quite mind-blowing to read that. Yeah. It was, it was regarding our, in a former, former band, our then drummer and his life mentor trying basically to imprison, intimidate, and extort money out of our bass player. And I'm not sure if you remember that particular story, but I do remember you writing back to me in an email. That sounds absolutely messed up. <laughs> I was just yeah. wondering, was there any crazy stories that just, I mean, that story, when I when I tell that story now, it seems like it can't be real. It's just so fucking weird. And even our bass player, who had a lot of trouble dealing with that for a long time, and he's okay with me talking about it, he even laughs about it now. Like, it seems like it can't possibly have been real. Is there any stories that didn't make the book that you're just like, well, I don't know if that can even be true? Is there any good ones that come to mind? But Well, uh, yeah, a few that immediately come to mind. But where, you know, people have been annexed, uh, kept away from their truth sayers and manipulated and... Yeah, just crap that happens all the time. I think I'm trying to think something happened. Oh my goodness! Oh, 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 oh. oh okay. So I'm, I was in class last week, and I said, I asked students what an A and R. Not that there are any A and R people anymore, but what could an A and R person do that would be completely insane in order to keep their job? And uh, it was every single thing. And, and I, that was my question. I, you know, sometimes I have a question and I want to take people somewhere on a journey. This was just a question. And every single thing that the students said, like, oh, 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 um, uh, secretly write songs, give the singer drugs, then uh, leave the label and take the band with them to another label that they'd secretly negotiated with. It was like every single thing they said, I was just laughing because <laughs> it's like, that was all standard operating procedure. It's like anything that they came up with despicable kidnapping manipulation. Uh, God, th this is all, this is just standard operating procedure. And of course my, the thing that I had in mind that A&R people do to keep their jobs is not sign a band. And then at least they can't be criticized for the band they'd chosen to sign not doing well. And at least it gives them like an extra four months of bullshitting their way uh, uh, with perhaps a smaller expense account these days. But there's nothing. I mean, there is honestly nothing. There's no story you could come up with that um, – that hasn't happened. I mean, there's a, there's a, a clip of the band, the turtles and it's like six minutes and it talks about a manager that ripped them off that somebody else that in the course of five minutes, they go through what must be millions of dollars of lost revenue, bullshit, torn up friendships, acrimony, and then back to the same manager again. And then just when it's like, Oh my goodness, they break up, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's the same the same stories have been rewritten time and time again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's a good one. I might have to check that out. I'll link that up below where this is being played so people can check that out. The Turtles. That's correct. The Turtles. Yeah, the Turtles. Yeah. I think they're a sixties band. Okay, right. Well, I'm sure they were all getting ripped off in myriad different ways back in the day. 
I wanted oh, to yeah. talk, Martin, about your – there's certain things that I always come to mind when I see you on Twitter or, you know, I see your book on the shelf or whatever, and one of them is the phrase, America is big. And I remember you saying on an interview somewhere that you were worried about how the academic community would react to a statement that seems so obvious on the surface, but you were getting at something quite a bit deeper there for creative people, I'm thinking, because America, I mean, I haven't been there. It's on my bucket list to spend a lot of time in North America. Just how big is America? Well, so I like to joke, you know, I, I say things like, this is why I get paid the big bucks, you know. Um, <laughs> but 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 people, people don't realize, I, I don't think I realized coming over from the UK, you know, it's 3,000 miles across. I think, is it the same size as Australia? Uh, east to west, I think they're very, very close. Right. So New New York to L.A., um, New Orleans to Detroit, you know, maybe is a 1,400 miles uh, uh, high, 3,000 miles wide. Um, but it's once again just saying this obvious stuff like, hey – you don't have to do a North American tour. You know, why don't you just stick within 500 mile radius of where you actually live? And, and as I joke, you can, you can, you can do a few shows on a weekend, which is usually the best time to do shows and be, be back at eight o'clock on a Monday morning in time to fall asleep at your office desk and try not to get fired, you know? So, Sometimes people take an academic approach to all of this and and they just think they should tour America from coast to coast, from east to west and north to south, and they should try and conquer the states. And that, that's just absolute folly. Yeah, I, I remember reading a book called Metal on Ice, and it was about a lot of the seminal Canadian metal bands that were springing up around Canada. And in that book, they all joke about the idea of touring Canada which I guess is even bigger again than you know, the mainland United States. Plus, the weather is just intense and the roads are intense. Yeah, it just comes up again and again, just the, how funny that phrase is once you actually try and do something across that kind of distance, that, yeah, right. we're going to go on a national tour. Like in right. Australia, that basically would mean that you would drive from Brisbane to Melbourne, stop a bunch of places and then fly over to Adelaide or Perth. There'd be no other way to do it, I don't think, as a band. I think that, you know, what we did in, uh, as PIL in, in 84, 85, we, there was a huge petition from like 350 punks in Perth. You know, you must come. And uh, I think John and I said, well, we've got to go to Perth. There's a petition, you know. <laughs> and and uh, I, I talked to Bruce, who was uh, the Virgin Records uh, representative back then, and he said, listened to us over a few beers but didn't do anything because there was no way we were going to Perth yeah. you know but um, we, d we did like Newcastle Gold Coast Brisbane, Melbourne I don't know if we did Adelaide I did Adelaide at some point a few years ago um, but uh, yeah I mean you just you tour where you can and you make a go of it and um and I think w w what happens in Canada, you do that little that little bit, you know, the London, Toronto, oh my goodness, Montreal, that little bit across the top of the states. Try and make sense of that. I just have to ask one question before we move off the geography of North America. 
Yeah. Are the are the microwave burritos really more poisonous on the West Coast? I've heard you mentioned somewhere in Bisbee, Arizona, or somewhere that keeps coming up in your in your stories well, about exploding bass players' underwear, etc. Well, I th- I have to say that um, I think over the last four years, especially um, the quality of truck stop, the quality of truck stops has quadrupled so you can find some more healthy stuff i mean it used to be that touring the states was just you were really rolling the dice um and i think i think now things are a little bit easier has to be said but yeah yeah you still have to be careful i know in australia most of the truck stops now are kind of it's almost like big truck stop there's a lot of big companies within the truck stop that actually service, particularly the food side of things. Yeah. There's a McDonald's and then a big coffee chain and there might be a salad bar type thing or a sumo salad or whatever it happens to be. And they're all just kind of jammed in there as small restaurants. So you're not stuck trying to microwave a hot dog that's probably been there for 12 hours already. Right. And and people are conscious of that. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's not just that. I, I think that the 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 ability to communicate is oh my goodness just in my lifetime you know we used to book shows i used to have rolls of quarters um uh in in my bag and i'd sit on the payphone booking shows 8 weeks ahead of time from truck stops so when we stopped for gas i could it was a chance for me to to call ahead and, and book some shows, and and then I had had to wait four more hours then to return other calls till our next uh, fill up with gasoline. So I mean, things are so much better now. I was even thinking the other day, just in regards to promoting some of the shows that we used to do. I think that there's a bit of a trade off. A lot of people seem to think that if you throw one thing up on Facebook, that some market that's out there that you've never been to is suddenly just going to turn up to your show. I'm not sure if that's a reality, but just the ability to find people in places that might be interested in, in the thing that you're already doing, whether it's people in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne that happen to like tool in a perfect circle and, you know, they're wearing their shirts in the photos and maybe just reaching out and saying hi or just like initiating some kind of contact with like-minded people. I mean, how did you how did you even do that back in the day? Well, we just did it. I mean, I actually moved to the States. I used to, I was looking through some stuff today. I don't know if you, do you follow me on uh, Instagram? Yes, I think so. Mostly I just laugh at your tweets, Martin. I've got to be honest because they're great. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm Flowers Fight for Sunshine on on Instagram. And uh, so uh, what I used to do back in the, in 81 (laughs) uh, was send out postcards. And I had a PIL rubber stamp and a and a Brian Brain, which was my punk rock persona. Um, I had a Brian Brain stamp, and I sent people postcards all the time. And I always just tried to keep in touch with people and and connect and then reconnect. And so the internet makes that easier, but I think it doesn't negate the need to put something out to somebody. Um, just as the the proliferation of ebooks and audiobooks doesn't mean that a huge phone book sized uh, textbook or whatever book is a bad idea. So I think that the problem with the internet 
is that people think, aha, I press this one button and I've communicated with everybody. And the fact is you've communicated with nobody. You still have to do the things that we used to do to connect with people. I, I tell people all the time, you know, you need to make a flyer. And then people go into OCD design frenzy and, <laughs> you know, you know, miss their show because they're still debating on which font to use. And it's like, look, it doesn't matter what the flyer looks like or what font you use, or even if all the information is wrong. Oh, well, uh, maybe it does. The, the idea of a flyer is it's in your hand and you're walking up to people waving this flyer and they know you're not a lunatic trying to sell them something. And you can talk to people who broadly look like they might like the things that you do based on your experience meeting people who like what you've done in the past. And so uh, it's still, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound like the guy who's saying everything's still the same because I clearly haven't ignored the internet. I've got 23,000 uh, Twitter followers, which I've worked really hard to accumulate. But, but all that does is open the door for all the other stuff that we used to do, which is still necessary. I'm not sure if you've ever been to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, Martin, and you, you may not have. And it's, I think it's either the second or the third biggest comedy festival in the world. If I could take my younger 22-year-old prog rock self to just outside one of the major venues there and see the way that the up-and-coming comedians interact with people. They're handing out flyers, they're meeting people, because their goal is to convince someone that's already probably got plans to come out a little bit earlier and see them be funny. And the best way to do that is still for them to talk to you in person and for them to laugh. And they've just got it down. And whether they're rehearsed lines being comedians or they just know what sorts of people laugh at what sorts of things, I don't know. But they're just masters at it. You meet them and it's someone you've never met and they're telling you, I'm funny and I'm going to try and make you laugh. Maybe you might want to come see my show. And it's just it's just human nature to feel something with someone in a physical space is what I'm trying to get at, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, right. I was, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of, just a ridiculous it's a ridiculous project um I, i'm working on my my pil book and i'm trying to involve a lot of people in it and i in going through my archives um i found the postcards that i put up on my instagram um i found a postcard written before our second new york show on a 3d postcard of the uh, empire state building and I'm just looking at all of these things and wondering if objects resonate with an energy from the time period that they're from. And so I'm putting together these boxes of, of random things, like some stickers, a, an unused ticket from 1982, a stationery I stole from the Gramercy Park Hotel in New York City in 1980. And I think I might set up one of my old typewriters and type a note on that stationery, um, and uh, you know, a, a matchbook from a from a restaurant in Osaka, you know, and put these things together just to see if they vibrate for people. And once you start to realise that it's all about that shit, you know, in varying degrees, then you can win. You know, I t I, I see bands. Uh, 
pay to open for large bands in yeah, thousands yeah. of people. You know, it's it's very common over here in the states. But the problem is, when you're the lowest band on the on the ladder, let's say the doors open at seven o'clock, main band goes on at ten. You've paid to open up. You're going on at seven o'clock because the management of the venue or the main band has put five opening acts on because that's a revenue stream for the management company, the venue, and the main act. So when, let's say there's a 1,000 people standing in line to get to the show. When you're on stage at seven, there are more people. There's 900 people outside and five people inside. So the common sense thing is to like, well, fuck it. Let's play outside. And you can't set up a whole PA system, or maybe you could on the back of a truck. But you can still interact with people, you know, and give your fans things. And and I've seen comedians absolutely be ahead of the game on this. Uh, there's a there's an American comedian I don't particularly like called Dane Cook. And he built his audience. I remember seeing a documentary and he plays somewhere huge. And two hours after his show, he's still out front signing shit and talking to people. Yeah. Well, and that's it. It's like, you know, people, people naturally look for a shortcut and there isn't one, you know, and, and you don't want there to be one because if there's a shortcut for making a connection, it's, it's a looser connection. It's more easily broken and, and another, somebody else can easily create that flimsy of a connection using some time-saving method on the internet. If you talk to somebody, you know, if you touch them, and I don't mean that in a bad way, then then you create a connection and they'll come back to your next show. They'll buy your embroidered sweatshirt, you know, and, and of course those relationships come at a price. You know, I, I had a huge, uh, North American street team at one point, and that was a fabulous thing. You know, and every Christmas, I sent Christmas cards to everybody, and all of those people got into our shows for free, and sometimes with a friend, and then they'd be backstage, and they'd have a question about drums or the scenery or fucking something. That's (laughs) the price you pay, and you better be happy to pay it. Amazing advice for any kind of creative person, I think. You just got to be prepared to put in the sweat equity. (laughs) <laughs> There's no way to skip that if you want to build something real, I don't think. Right. And 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 if you do if you do build it, you know, the the good news is you can experiment, you can involve everybody in your experiment, and you can take a wrong step, a wrong turn, um, and everybody will forgive you, you know, but when it's just a flimsy connection and you make a wrong turn, everybody ditches you. Yeah. You know? So if you're some artists think, eh, I don't want to be involved in the marketing and the business, but your art is the marketing and the business. Everything is connected anyway. Yeah, it's something I need to remember too, more myself. I'm always on the search for shortcuts and all the time and the energy and the focus that I burn looking for a quicker way to avoid interacting with a real human being. It'd be so much easier and so much more beneficial for everyone involved if I just reached out to someone, regardless who they are, and just made a connection. Right. So, so we, we did a thing, you know, I have this band pig face and we haven't played in like, I don't know, eight, maybe nine years. So it was the 25th anniversary of the band. And, 
Uh, we I booked a huge venue here in, in Chicago, 12, 1300 capacity, House of Blues here in Chicago. But I wanted to do a special thing. So I think the tickets were $50 each. And so I, I, I told Live Nation, who run the House of Blues, I'm going to do a special fan ticket. It's going to be called the Almost Free Ticket. And you get two tickets directly from me for $125, which is $25 more than the face price. But you get two T-shirts, uh, admission to two secret events, and $50 to spend at the merch booth. Most of our bigger fans were going to do that anyway. You know, I wasn't trying to incentivize somebody walking by the venue to, to drop $50 at the merch booth. So, and then, then I got into it with Live Nation because they wanted to give people their T-shirts as they walked in the door of the show. I'm like, no, the show's in six months' time. I'm going to priority mail all of this stuff out to people. And I, I want them to have this stuff in their hands to, to get excited. And then I realized, okay, if I'm sending out what, what turned out to be 400 packages to people all over the country, which was kind of surprising, I know who they are. How can I not put in a personalized note to this person? Right? So then that's a fucking day. That's a day for me to personalize a note to everybody and make sure I didn't put Steve's personalized note in Susan's personalized package, right? Yeah. <laughs> it turns into a thing. But but we can do these things, right? And then I'm thinking, okay, how awesome that I'm actually sending packages out to people. Why don't I go in my storage space and pull out 400 of these remix CDs from Pigface and un unshrink wrap them and autograph them in silver pen? What a nice surprise. And then I went to the dollar store and I got buckets of mediocre candy, you know, boiled sweets, you know, whatever. And I'm putting handfuls, handfuls of candy in these packages. And my wife said to me, you're out of your fucking mind. What are you doing? You know, because I'm like, oh, my God, I've got to go back to the candy store. She's like, you fucking you do this to yourself, Martin. Yeah, <laughs> I actually, I have to say, at one point I thought, well, well, she's right. You know, I, I nowhere in this agreement to 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 send out tickets with t-shirts and coupons and all this other stuff. No one's expecting to get an autograph CD. No one's expecting to get a personalized note. And now I'm throwing in handfuls of candy, and I it felt right to me, but I started to question it. And until the packages arrived, and people went fucking nuts. Everybody who got a package laid it out on their kitchen table or their bed or somewhere, took a picture, posted it on Instagram, and went nuts. I can't wait for the pig face show on this date, and probably sold the rest of the tickets for me just with their vibe and energy that I made happen. And so the the rules of 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 time and economics and efficiency don't apply in, in any kind of creative uh, fan-building endeavor. There's, there's no shortcuts. Beautifully said. Just before we finish up, because I actually have to go to my day job for a few hours <laughs> in about 45 <laughs> minutes, Martin, okay. yeah, even, even though it's the Queen's birthday public holiday, I do have to go in for a bit. 
I wanted to ask you, I can't be talking to someone that's been in the same room on a however many times basis with Danny Carey without asking what that experience is actually like to be around. Well, in my opinion, he's one of the most transcendent musicians ever. I don't, I'm not putting words in your mouth there. You can say whatever you like or not say anything. I just wanted to know what's it actually like to be in a room with a guy at that level. I just posted a picture on my Facebook from, I think, two years ago. It's me and, and Jimmy from the Smashing Pumpkins and Danny and my, my, my captain. How many drummers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Fuck off. <laughs> but, um, so, That's good. Um, I mean, I love Danny. He came out with Pigface in uh 1994 before tool were really anything you know uh he came out and did 10 shows with us uh so there's, there's three myself a guy called joe trump and danny carey all in a line playing black pearl drum kits oh my god it was fucking amazing um <laughs> um but but he, he's such a a super nice guy. I mean, you could see his smile. Um, it, he's a really genuine person. Um, and um, it's strange. I saw him, I want to say five years ago. And, uh, and I went backstage to say hi. And I said, thanks a lot. You know, I see you playing drums. And I just want to put my arms in a lawnmower. You know, <laughs> I mean, so it's like, why, why would anybody play drums after seeing you, <laughs> you know, you bastard, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then I kind of felt like setting my drums up and I'm like, yeah, no, give it up, Martin. And then he said to me, I'll never forget. He said, yeah, well, thanks a lot, Martin. And once I get these, this, this rod and these screws taken out of my left elbow, I'll really be able to let loose. Why did you have to tell me that? You know, you, just, you were just totally amazing. And now you're telling me you've got rods and pins in one of your arms. But yes. uh, he's a he's a super nice guy. And I think I, I don't know what it is. You know, so, some of the things that I've been involved in have really enabled me uh, to work with some amazing people, you know, um, hanging out with Flea. Uh, I don't, people don't really know that Flea auditioned for PIL in 83. Um, and we've been friends ever since. And, um, of course he got the job. He just didn't take the job. It's not like he didn't get the job. He he got the job, but he's like, no, I've got this thing called the red hot chili peppers. I remember saying to Flea, listen, man, take it from me. This this big big hot chili peppers thing you've got going on, it's going nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Dan, Danny Carey's super 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 nice guy. Felt a little bit awkward asking that question because you would know that there's there's music fans and then there's Tool on a Perfect Circle fans and Mars Volta ish type people that live in their own little universe like me, where yeah we're kind of probably a little bit too obsessed with the people in the band and. <laughs> knowing about them, etc. Yeah, no, I, I've I've definitely picked up on that for sure. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. Just did um they did four five dates. I think it was Danny and the other guys in Tool, not Maynard, because he's off doing Perfect Circle stuff. And it was basically like behind the scenes how we wrote these songs with Tool, like a workshop. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I mean it was five hundred dollars a ticket, but yeah. <laughs> That would have been not dissimilar to a high-level 
physics and math lecture, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just the way that Maynard describes their writing process in his book. I can't remember what the book's called. It's pretty good, though. He describes the, t- the tool thing as kind of a bit of a mathematical equation at times. So I really like what he's doing. So he has a store in wherever he is in Arizona. He has his vineyard, but he also has a store that sells vinyl and I think is a barber shop and a tattoo parlor. I just love that shit. I love that shit. So thank you for indulging me there, Martin. And no thank problem. You for, thank you for being on the show. I mean, I've been following you, I think, for pretty much since I discovered Tour Smart. And yeah, that that book helped us move on from our deal in a smooth way and basically know we were getting jerked around. So thank you. That probably honestly saved us maybe another 18 months of heartache when I really think about it. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything, obviously you're writing the PIL book now, how far along is that process? Because I know from memory, the band smart thing, because I actually tracked that as it was happening, that was a gargantuan project. <laughs> is the pill thing going to be anything near that or...? Well, the band smart was was a, was became a little bit untenable because my layout guy died, and it was also oh, yeah. um, it was also a Kickstarter campaign, so it, it got quite complicated. But um, the, this PIL book, I've already interviewed thirty five people um, and, and gone through my archives, tidied up. My photographs are amazing, but but. I'm launching that in about a week's time and just to give people an opportunity to go, Hey, I was at that show. Here's the set list as uh, Bruce from Virgin Australia. We were talking about the new year's Eve show in 84, 85. And he's like, sent me the set list. So um, I'm trying to make my pill book, everybody's pill book. um, Because I think things were a lot different in 79 to 85. Um, and, and I'm not trying to say it was the golden age of anything, but things were different. And for those of us who were in the eye of that storm or close to it, um, it was a very special thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm opening it up for people to contribute. It's going to be a pledge campaign with different things that people can get. Um, but also people could just sign up for the updates and see a lot of it as it happens. Excellent. Did you just want to let people know where they can follow you? Like what's the main place? Most of this audience is North American and Australian. So, Well, a really good place is Martin, M-A-R-T-E-E-E-E-N, four E's, just like the old days. Hey, hey that's my <laughs> drug joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> on Twitter, I am flowers fight for sunshine on Instagram. Um, and then I'm Martin Atkins on Facebook. Yeah. And I think given that you're putting things up on Instagram, like that photo <laughs> with multiple band members of interest, that might be a good place to, you know, get a bit of an introduction to Martin. So, and obviously anyone who's listening to this that happens to be listening because they're in a band or they were, or they're looking to restart, et cetera, et cetera. Which of the books do you think is the most relevant for someone maybe that just wants to read one enormous tome as opposed to two i would read both but well i i would say get welcome to the music business you're fucked because that's a hundred pages there's drawings and f-bombs on every page uh, and you can get a you can find a free download of that from the tour smart site which is appalling it's an appalling site it's like eight years past the sell-by date but you can still find a free download of Welcome to the Music Business, you're fucked. 
that would be my first suggestion. And if you, it's easy to absorb those ideas and those ideas will protect you. Exactly. Well, thank you once again, sir, for giving up part of your Sunday. I really appreciate it. And yeah. No problem. Okay. Thanks, Martin. I'll see you later. Take it easy. Bye. 